Now I declare that the Lord has given me this spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. Can you just turn around to somebody say, God will bless you with his word today. God will speak a word to you. God will speak a specific word to you. Turn to somebody else. And you will receive it in the name of Jesus. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Let's take our seats and quickly get into our teaching for today. Let's open our Bibles, okay? We'll um, continue speaking on how to make sure our faith is strong. And last time we went over it again. And of course, I do that again and again. We have four areas where we have found out we can divide life into, in which we have to deliberately exercise ourselves, where we build our lives. I don't want to say build our faith. We build our lives in those areas, and we'll find that our faith is built up. Number one, what's the first one? How we understand life. How we interpret the things that happen to us. We must be deliberate. If you fall down, you will ask yourself, why did I fall down? And you're thinking spiritually. You get my logic here. That's what we're talking about. You deliberately do that. Number two, we said, give me number two. Okay, we have not gone to the pre- we've not discussed the precepts yet, okay? Have we? Okay. Are we started there? I don't even know where we are. Okay. Alright, let's just go by that. Okay, so we talk about the precepts by which we live our lives. That's another way. Then number three, the expectation. We're not giving a particular order now, just the way we are remembering it. Then the expectations we have for life. That's what we are working, we are on now. And we divided into two that, um, what our lives are supposed to contribute, what our destinies are. We derive those things from the Word of God. And then as part of that, what we are supposed to have in life, and that's where we are on. And the fourth one is the words that we speak. And we're going to get into the other two later. But let's continue this one, which I listed today as number three. But of course, it's the one we have been looking at, it's the second one we have been talking about. So now, as part of that, all right, we said that things that God wants us to have, they are determined by his word. And we must, des- we must um, derive, yes, we must derive our desires, our expectations, things that will come to us in life, we must derive them from the word of God. Let's start by looking at this, pot- this particular portion of the scriptures. There are two of them we are going to read. Let's start with Numbers chapter... 13, just because it's um, earlier than Psalms. Numbers chapter 13. Now, we, are, we all know this portion, and we have read it here so many times, so I'll just go briefly, uh, quickly to the one that concerns us, and then we'll go on to the next one. Numbers chapter 13, let me start from verse 25, but we know that what happened before that was that the 12 spies were sent into the promised land as according to the instruction of um, Moses, which God gave to him, which God gave him because they asked, all right? If you read Deuteronomy chapter 1, you will find out that they were the ones that started it. God did not start it. Now, those people came back having spied the land. It's a story we all know, not a story that's new to anybody. Now, verse 25, when they returned from spying out the land, at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron, and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran, at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him, and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land in, of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, 
and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not now, please, this is where we start from now, to pay close attention. The men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, in brackets it says, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. I wonder how they knew that. They did have conversations with them. <laughs> now let's do the next portion. Then the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Aaron, Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Now I'm going to stop reading here. Okay, no, I need to read something else. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, if the Lord is pleased with us, I want to read it one more time. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not let us rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. I'm going to stop reading there. Uh, please just note that quickly. Psalm 47. The book of Psalms, just go to 47. I'm tempted to keep reading that one because the response of God is very important. While you are going to 47, let me just read what God said. He said, how long will these people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them. And I will make you into a greater nation and mightier than they. Let me just stop reading that one there. I just wanted to bring in the way the Lord felt about that discussion that went on. Psalm 47. Oh, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to the Lord with a voice of joy. For the Lord Most High is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. He subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us. The glory of Jacob whom he loves. Sailor. Let me stop reading here. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Last time we read Psalm 139. And for time's sake, we will not go into reading that now, but I just like to just quote a portion of it for us again, in which David said that God has thoughts, great thoughts for us. And the thoughts the Lord has for us, they are so much that if we were to number them, we will not, it will be like the sand of the seashore. I will not be able to number them. He said he would have numbered the sand. Very important we understand it. He said the, pre- the thoughts God has for us are precious. The vast, the sum of them is vast. I said last time, there is nothing that we can think up for the Lord. It's not like he's there approving our plans. 
It's not like he's there waiting for us to bring something for him to do. Actually, everything that he will perform for you, he has determined it ahead. That's how it is. You cannot outthink God. It is not possible. I've had experiences in my life, okay, over the last many years, that just shows me that God actually plans ahead for me. There are decisions I make. I just realized that I did not even know things were like this, but I made the right decision. It's because God knew, of course, not surprising, he knew and he made adequate plans. Don't think it is only what you ask God for that he does. Many things he will do for you, you will never even have, you won't have the opportunity to ask about for them. There are times he will tell you to ask for something and there are reasons for it. Sometimes your thoughts have gone in the wrong direction. He needs you to align your thoughts with his own so he can do something for you. That is why one of the things you must learn as a Christian when you are reading to find out the prayer points that God commanded that we, his children, should have and try and have those prayer points. There is nothing that God has not thought about concerning your life. Every detail. Every detail. Sometimes I give some things that look very ridiculous to let you know that I mean it to the, you know, to the, to the, to the, to the minutest detail. Alright? I guess the example I gave last time that even if you are going to buy shoes, he selects shoes for you. And this, look, something happened to me once. Just to let you know how God does things. Just a simple illustration. I walked somewhere, I told the story before, and the man and I had a small disagreement on, based on principle, the kind of practice he was doing. I, I didn't like them, and I refused to participate, and he said, if I'm not going to agree, then I cannot continue working for him. I said, sir, it's, it's no problem. So I discontinued working that day, and he gave me money. Paid me for the part of the month that I had done. And I went back home, and I laid down. And then, you know, <laughs> I was in um, Ilupeju, if you know Lagos. That was somewhere near Palm Grove, all right? I was there in the house, just lying down. I think I was just giving thanks and praying. And a thought dropped in my mind. Go and buy the shoes you said you needed. You know, so I said, okay, ah. And I know how to move and navigate um, Lagos Island, where you get good quality shoes at good prices. So <laughs> I just told myself that, okay, I'll go tomorrow. But I thought was just like, get up and go. So I looked at the time. It was like afternoon, you know, afternoon. I, I left, so I, I said, okay, let me go to my cousin's office. So I went down there. I just begged the guys, please, I need to go to the island. I want to go and buy some things. So so the, the, the one of the guys walking said, okay, his idol is not doing anything. So he took one of the small cars, said, let's go. So we drove to the island. We found a parking spot. I went and bought two beautiful pairs of Italian shoes with the money I just got paid. Now you see where I'm going. Then we, I, in a short while I was done. You know, everything just moved very fast. Then the guy was waiting for me. I got into the car and then we turned and we came back from leaving Western Avenue in Lagos to get to the island and back did not take more than an hour. Shopping and all. Now, that's very dramatic. Think about it. <laughs> then I got back home in the evening and my sister came visiting. Now you say, what, what are you talking about? I know the kind of person I was. I would have given her all the money. That's, that's what I used to do. I would just say that I would share the money. Give this person this. Give this person this. So, and God decided that, Banky, you need new shoes. You need the shoes. You need. I, <laughs> I, I don't know whether you're getting my point. It was when she arrived that I realized the nudging that was strong. Because Baba God knew that this guy, I know how he behaves. He will shred this money to pieces, distribute it all over the nation. So the Lord, that's the kind of thing I would do. That day, I, I, I remember, this was many years ago. This is okay, quite a while. But I remember the story because I said, you mean, hey, God really, really cares about me, really. Of course, I still had some money left. I gave my sister from what I had. But I know the kind of person, the way I used to behave. God said, Banky, you need to buy new shoes. And I went and bought <laughs> another thing that happened with the shoes, just to let you know. One day I would travel somewhere. And one brother was wearing... One funny pair of shoes. So I told him, what size do you wear? He told me. So I removed the pair of my head. Try this one. It fitted him. I said, you can go. That's how one of them finished. That did as I wife. Those two I bought that day. A few weeks later, one was gone. So maybe God made me buy it because he wanted to supply that fellow's needs too. <laughs> That's how. I'm, so God was not just solving my problem. He was solving somebody else's problem. I don't know whether I was praying about shoes. What I, I'm not sure I was praying about that, but it just made me get up to go and do it. Listen, you know, that's why I say, listen, draw a picture on the wall. This is the kind of woman I want to marry. It's an ungodly principle. Forget that thing. It's when we just imported Hinduism into Christianity. Adam did not know wives existed. 
I hope you are getting my point. He woke up and discovered Eve. God put him under anesthesia. By the time he woke up, the Lord brought Eve to him. He said, wow, this is bone of my bones. Flesh of my flesh. Listen, he began to prophesy. I hope you are getting my point. He had never seen Eve. God can think. God can think. When I want to make requests for the, before the Lord, I'm very careful not to get into this must be specific, must be specific. Now, I've given the example about cars before. There are cars you see from outside. You want, ah, you will, oh God, if the name of Jesus Christ, you can just do it for God. So there's no problem. Let me kill you. We give you to drive for one day. After that, you say, Father, if I ever ask you for that car before, please forgive me. You lose interest in it. So many t- times we are, we are praying. I want you to understand, God is not a formula. He's not a computer. He thinks about the details of your life. He does. Please bear it in mind. Okay? Now, I just want to remind us of that. Now, all his provisions are in his promises. Today, I want to come from a particular angle, which many of us have not realized before. You don't reject God's offer. It's a bad idea. You see what I'm talking about? There's something I say all the time. I say, don't touch that scripture. Let's start with that. Because everything God wants you to have, they are good for you. He prepared them. And he describes them in his word. And if he says they are good, learn that they are good. If he says something is bad, no matter how you feel, accept it is bad. You see where I'm going in the moment. Because we have a culture that appears as if God supplies only our request. So if he offers me something, I don't like it, I decline and it is okay. He doesn't behave like that. Because if God gives you something and you refuse it, it is actually you are saying to him you are wiser than he is. We don't look at it from that angle. You are saying to him, you know what is good for you more than he does. It is called eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Bear it in mind. See, read your Bible. God invited, Jesus was giving parables. He invited people for, for banquets, for wedding feasts. They did not come and it was a sin. Sin enough for him to destroy the people. They refused to come. Like we say, come chop. No, you can't walk. This is come and celebrate. And the people said they did not have time. And he destroyed them for it. You don't just treat God like, you don't make an offer, I, I, I drop it. You see, one of the problems we have, which is why I'm doing this, this series, is to let us start respecting the word of God. His word is final. I want us to start rejecting the thoughts of the world. Their thoughts are fake. They are not good for us. They change all the time. They change all the time. Sometimes people look, I give an example about diet. God says, listen, a few principles in the Bible, eat with moderation. Are you getting my point? Eat with thanksgiving. Leave the rest. A lot of times you see, you know, like I say all the time, you see poor Nigerians, poor Africans adopting American principles of diet. They don't know what the American is struggling over. They don't understand it. America has a lot of food. So they will tell you, sugar is bad for you, this is bad for you. They are not talking about po- to poor people. There was a time they told you, oh, well, don't eat egg, don't eat egg. I said, who gave you Africans egg in the first place? You don't need to tell us not to eat egg. We are not eating it anyway. How many eggs do we get? Like I said to them all the time, to people all the time, when an African wants to eat, it is bread and yam and gari and, do you understand? It's the yam, the gari, they are the food. The egg, the meat is all other things that will be added onto it. I hope you're getting my point. Go to an American, it's the other way around. He wakes up in the morning, fries an egg alone, or two, or three. And beside he puts bacon, and sausage, egg, meat, and processed mixture of internal meat, you know, all kind of rubbish they put together called sausage. And they eat it. You now see these people that have been eating carbohydrates all their lives. Will now be coming to, they will come to church, they'll give them pulpit. You want to live long, God say, honor your father and your mother, you will live long. For they all this rubbish that 
People dishonor their father, they dishonor their mother, they'll be jogging around Parra Square. <laughs> Let me not get, when I get there, I get angry. Then they will not take God's word. This is what I'm saying. The society tries to teach us things. We will not take the word of God. Turn it upside down. Turn it completely upside down. And find different ways to reason away the scriptures. Like I say all the time, don't touch that scripture. Let me use this illustration again. Psalm 127. Let's quickly read that. Before we leave here, remember, he has appointed what? Our inheritance for us. We don't appoint our inheritance. He's the one that appoints our inheritance. We just discovered that which he has appointed. I want to give an example of how we reject what God has said and then we start, you know, be, you know, swallowing what the world says to us in his own wisdom. From verse 3. Let's read the whole of it. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even while he sleeps, or even in his sleep. Now please bear that in mind. It says it is vain to rise up early. The world tells us it is good to rise up very early. The world says it is vain to retire late. The world says it is good to retire very late. Paul Getty, richest man in the world in his days, he said, how do you make money? He said, rise up early, early, go to bed late, and strike oil. I said, nonsense. That's not the word of God. He made a lot of money, still not the word of God. His son said that money was a curse to the family. You cannot undermine the word of God and go scot-free. Now, it starts verse 3 now. Let's go to verse 3. It said, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is what? A reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Jump quickly to the next verse. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, when Psalm 128 now, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. He said, your wife shall be a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. I want to give us an illustration. This is how the world reads this thing for us. Children are a burden from the Lord. This is verse 3, the worldly version. Children are a burden from the Lord. The fruit of, of the womb is trouble. Like arrows in the, or like load in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man that does not have so much load to carry. That way, he will not have troubles in his life. Please, is that not how the world reads it for us? Did they not get up and glorify having only one child? And having only two? I will make it look like it is what God said. Please, I want to go over it again. I started by saying something. You don't reject God's gift and you go scot-free. He annoys him. It annoys him. It annoys him. Please bear that in mind. Always bear it in mind. Don't ever magnify anything above what God has spoken, no matter how popular that thing is. I'm not dealing with common sense here. I'm talking scripture. Let me say something about this, the word of God. The word of God has power in itself. Every time you reject it, you cut off the flow of that power into your life. You cut off the flow of that power into your life. A lot of things that the world is suffering today is simply because they rejected divine counsel. A lot of the countries that are opening up their doors for immigration, you know why they are doing it? It's not love. They have checked their society. They said there will be nobody to sustain this country or to take care of the older generation. Why? They don't have children to do that. They notice that the demography is skewed now towards elderly people. So a time is going to come, people who are 70 and above will be 50% off 
the population. So who will work to sustain those ones? So they started giving visas to immigrants who want to come. The same people will undermine God's word again and again. They will do it again and again. But because they control our media, they write our medical textbooks. Listen, everyone who, my doctor said it, everyone who transfers information transfers, uh, transfers prejudice. Am I transferring my own prejudice to you? Yes, except that I've tried my best to ensure that it is prejudicial in favor of the word of God. Anytime I'm reading information, that's how I process it. Anything you say doesn't agree with God's word, I throw it away. They tell me global warming is because of cars we are driving. I say it's a lie. Solomon said it. Go and read Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and chapter 1. He said these are cycles. As it's cooling, heating up, watch it. It will soon cool, start cooling down. Say anything you want to say. Say relax. The word of God is final. What I need to do is make sure I understand it and I know it properly. Not just use my own misconceptions to know, to pronounce what God is saying. That's what I, that's what I need. Listen, one of our brothers said something to me the other day. There's a man I quote a lot of times. His name is Charles Towns. Won Nobel, Nobel Prize for Physics, I think 1968, thereabout. Not very sure of the year. Now, let me not quote it wrongly. His name is Charles Towns. The man who, you know, he, he worked on what he called, you know, what he called laser now. Okay? That's light amplification through stimulation emission of radiation. He worked on what he called MESA, microwave, microwave amplification. Now, there's something he said, which I, one of our brothers sent to me a few days ago. All right? Very beautiful. If I am happy, I have I have my stuff here, so let me I can quickly read it. Just give me a second. I'm going to say something. There's something about science that's what I want to bring out. So Charles Town said, "I'm a physicist. I also consider myself a Christian. As I try to understand the nature of our universe in these two modes of thinking, I see many commonalities and crossovers between science and religion." It seems logical that in the long run, the two will even merge, it converge. He says, it seems logical that in the long run, the two will even converge. You see where I'm going? See, people try to make it look like science. You choose between science and faith, but it's not true. That is a lie. If, if you believe that, you don't know enough science. Those who really know science say, look, science starts even by faith. That is, before they start researching something, okay, they first have the thought. It is a hold on of that thought that they have that they try to prove that they were right. The man Higgs that won the Nobel Prize of Physics a few years ago, he was in his car attending, a, arriving at a conference. He bent his head in the car. The thought dropped in his head so strongly that there must be a particle that explains the mass of matter. He began, and so he, he sat down, he explained, he, he, he announced it to the physicists. They wrote his equations and all of that. Anyway, did everything he had to do. Years later, the, using one large hydron collider that they have somewhere, they finally detected the particle. They gave him a Nobel Prize. It was just a thought that dropped in his mind. This thing starts from the spirit. This man, Charles Towns, he said, prophets get inspiration. I was sitting on the park bench when this thing dropped in my head. And it took two years to prove it in the lab. Let's forget these things. They make it look like it's those who don't know um, uh, science that have religion or have faith. It's not true. True science is founded on faith. Think about it. Thomas Edison, I've confirmed again, he tested the electric bulb, how it will work 10,000 times before it finally worked. 10,000 times. Let me ask you a question. Why will a man test something 10,000 times except he knew from the beginning it will work? If he was guessing, after the 50th time, he will get tired. Assuming he has a lot of resilience, after a thousand times, he will get tired. But he continued for 10,000 attempts. He knew something. And many of them, what did they know? Remember Kekule's structure? For those of who did elementary chemistry, cyclical hydrocarbons. How did Kekule know? The world was confused. He slept in front of the fireplace, and he saw a snake in his dream with his tail in his mouth, going around in circles. He woke up and taught the world cyclical hydrocarbons. Don't let anybody come and deceive you that uh, it's only those who don't know science that believe in faith, that have faith. No. No. Listen, there are, there are hospitals in the United States, I found, I, I saw on, on I think, I did CNN or Al Jazeera long ago, 
they started employing psychics to make diagnosis. They will investigate, investigate, they are confused. They bring the psychic. I still remember one woman they showed. A psychic, not a Christian. But she was using spiritual principles to tell them what is wrong. She, I remember she put her hand over the patient. Didn't touch the patient though. Close her eyes. Go up like, go up like, finally stuck her hand somewhere in the middle. Hung over and said that there's an obstruction. They find out, found that the person had a tiny stone in the bile duct. I didn't watch this on the Christian channel. This was on CNN or something. That is why I don't have, I, look, I have no, listen, I believe that, just that God didn't give me the opportunity to be practicing clinical medicine. I will have written clearly in front of my office. This is a Christian hospital. I pray for people. <laughs> it's true. Ah, we have prayed before and we've seen sickness disappear. Ah. Don't start repeating stories I've told you before. So I had, I told, remember the story of a patient I had when I was a, when I was a youth copper? I went to my house, took this woman's matter off for 40 minutes. Woke up next day, her kidneys had shut down on me, woke up. Then two days later, I came back, she had disappeared. I said, I instantly I understood what happened. The spirit of death upon her, because my prayer was founded on one particular local standing, that this is my territory, and therefore I reject the spirit of death to operate here. So the three of them packed his load and left, and called the husband, said, bring her, we kill her outside. That day I got to work, I said, ah, where is this woman? They said, the husband came at 7 a.m., knew I would, this priest knew I would come at 9. He came at 7 a.m., extracted the woman. And the soldier on duty did not even cross his mind to call me. It happens. I didn't, I wasn't too angry with him after I thought about it. I said the death was working in the woman's life. And that was an obstruction to the flow of death. So they took her to the Babalawo's house where she could die in peace. Said, let's, let this pastor leave us alone. What are we talking about here? Listen. By faith we understand that the words were framed by the word of God. People don't die by accident. Eggs don't kill people. Every death is a decree from heaven. If you don't want somebody to die, you ask the Lord concerning it. What are we talking about here? People don't make it look as if, as if science is God. This science is not God. In case you don't know, I'm a trained medical doctor, a fellow of the West African College of Physicians. I'm a certified pathologist. I'm not talking like an ignorant person. In fact, I'm convinced God allowed me to go that route. So that if I have to talk to people, they know you're not talking that I'm not talking out of ignorance. Ah, I've seen spirits disturb people before. Ah, what am I going to say? Let's, let's, let's believe us. Let's hold on to what God has said. His word is more sure than what science is saying. Let me tell you something you did not know. Many of you, maybe including me, here, you have eaten poison before you did not know. Because God just said it's not the day of death. So you ate the poison, you digested it, you flushed it down the toilet, and the story will never be told. And you didn't even know the promises of God, though. Because like God said, it's not yet the day of death. Death is an appointment, not an accident. But in many of the news we hear around, they are, determined, they are designed to remove our faith from God. That's what I'm trying to emphasize. So we have a duty to focus on what God has said. Back to what the scripture I read it as my illustration. That's I want to disable. I've had arguments with people again and again. And the one that annoys me, and if you are the type that talks like, they just know that I'm offended when you say it. They say, Pastor Banky likes many children. You're talking stupidly. That's not my point. My point is that the Bible says it is good. That's what I'm saying. And along the line, you see what I'm going to explain. If God says it is good and he offers you something, the only time you reject something from God, not, not really reject, because sometimes, let me give an example. Paul says something. It is not good for the man to be alone, God said at the beginning, true of us. So marriage is good. Paul said ma- marriage is honorable in all. That's what Paul said. Marriage is honorable. But did he marry? No. Why? Simply because sometimes... You may have to let go of something that is good for another reason. Is it good to be safe in life? True of us. It's good. You should be safe. But Paul will say he lives in peril of death all the time. Why? He has to do his part in advancing the gospel of God. 
So I was sitting down, comfortable in his house. He will go. With, he said, in danger of false brethren. Taking all sorts of risks with his life. Why? He said, because I have to do my part in, uh, in fulfilling that which is lacking in the sacrifice of Jesus. That if Jesus died for people, they don't know about it. It doesn't benefit them. So even though I suffer, he says, none of these things move me. So he did not have a wife. And he explained that he had a right to it. But he decided to forego his right. Many things Paul suffered. If you know the way God did it, and Peter and Co. followed it. If you are ministering the word, you must eat from the word. Paul said, listen, I'm going to primarily minister to Gentiles. It's important they don't make a mistake thinking that we are peddlers of the word of God. There is nothing wrong with, I mean, Paul finishing a meeting and say, I have an offering basket at the back with which me and my men will eat. Put what God has laid in your hand in it. There's nothing wrong with it. He said, but they will think we are peddling the word. Doing that, he broke a lot of scriptures. Now, broke in quotes. In quotes now. He said, thou shalt not bonzo the ox that stretching out the wheat. He said, God said that, not because of cattle. Not because of oxen. He said, but because of ministers of the word. He said, however, I forgo that right. Because I want to ensure I don't put any hindrance, all right, in, in the path of the advancement of the truth of God. You see what I'm trying to say? So that's what he did with marriage. Are children good? Yes. How do you know? God said so. Science woke up one day and said there are problems associated with having many children. You take sick, cursed people, people who are deficient in nutrients, who had rickets as children, who had all kinds of problems. Of course, there are all kinds of problems in their lives, including when they have many children. They now tell you that they have problems of what you call grand multiparity. They told me that as a medical student too. Until one day, one gynecologist told me that, but they found out, especially among the Jews, that you see women with 14 children, and they're perfectly normal. So they need to re-examine that thing. What am I going to say? The problem is not the children. There was a problem before. But we don't take a holistic approach to the word of God. Uh-uh. The word of God said it. So it annoys many people who say, Pastor Banky likes many children. Listen to me, I do. I'm not saying I don't. I'm just saying, please, don't get me wrong. That is never my argument. That is never my argument. My fight all the time is that, please, reject the counsel of the world. Then find me another good reason not to have many children. Pyelton had a good reason like that. He was sent as a missionary to Nigeria. He was sent to come and educate this nation with the word of God. He was sent both as an apostle and a teacher and a prophet. Reality on ground was a white man. Arriving in Nigeria, maybe getting too close to 100 years ago now. Maybe it is something years ago. For the that time he arrived. You imagine Nigeria of a hundred years ago. He said, raising children as a white man in, in this nation was going to be a problem. He knew it. For that reason, just like Paul decided to forego his right to marry. Listen to me. When I have finished preaching, many times I have gone here and there, I get home, I finish preaching. One of the most comforting things about preaching is I get home, I get a big cup of cool drink, I drink it, remove my clothes, lie down, and my wife massages my back. I tell her, I am anointed. Yeah, rub my back. Paul never enjoyed that. When he finishes preaching, Paul, Timothy will tell him, Dosa. <laughs> Timothy will go and bring something. As he wound healed, where they beat us yesterday. When I finish preaching, I'm not wounded, I praise God. Sometimes my wife will actually say, if you put my leg down, be rubbing my face. Ah, the ministry is good. <laughs> but Paul didn't enjoy that. Was it a bad thing? No. But he suffered, in quotes now, for, his, for something else's sake. Same thing with Pyelton. Pyelton came, 
said, no, what am I going to do? I have work to do. He said, listen to this, I don't believe in separating families. He says, so, my wife, me, and my children will have to be together all the time. So that means anytime my children need to go to school, they will have to go back to England. I have to leave my mission position and go back to England. He said, no, I won't do that. That was why Pi Elton deliberately chose to have only that daughter that they came to Nigeria with. Once they arrived in Nigeria, childbearing was over. But you know why? How ignorant, sinful Christians who have drunk the spirit of this age, how they say, talk about it. You know, if you have many children now, how you pay their school fees? You are insulting God who bought you. I read the scriptures to let you see how he takes it. He said, look at this nonsense I'm hearing. I brought you to give you a land. You are telling me there are giants. Am I stupid? Did I not know there were giants when I brought you out of Egypt? Did you not see the mighty hand with which I brought you out of Egypt? Has that my hand now been shortened? Did I not tell you I'm bringing you to a good land that I might do you good? They said it's better we stay in Egypt. God was so angry. He decided he's killing everybody that day. Moses prayed and begged, and God postponed the execution for 40 years, but he still killed them. God said to Moses, Say your problem is what people will think. I don't care about what they will think. But since it matters to you, Moses, we'll take it easy. He passed a death sentence on everybody 20 years and above that day. That day, he passed the sentence. But Moses said, If you destroy them, now what's going to happen? God said, look, okay, Moses, since it matters to you, because it doesn't matter to me, whatever they think is their problem, I kill them, join. But Moses matters to you. So I spread out the execution over 40 years. People started dropping dead every day. Why? Because they rejected God's blessing with worldly counsel. So please, never say my hearing again if you're listening to this. Pastor Banky likes many children. Please, say what I said, that the Bible says it is good. The same people will tell you that no, have one or two children now be teaching you how to plan for your future. Meanwhile, did God, say, did God not say the benefits therein? That they will not be ashamed when they speak against poverty at the gates, against sickness at the gates, when they speak against their enemies at the gates. When they speak against homelessness at the gate, the problems people are saying save up for, for the future for. Imagine a man, imagine a woman blessed with blessed children. Who would care what he has saved up for retirement? Who would care? But what we don't do, we don't take the word of God holistically. We think we make our plans go to God and he will sign off on them. Like I say all the time, if you don't understand how to play out in your life, just don't touch that scripture. Respect God and leave it alone. How will it play out? I don't know. How will it work? I don't know. God's counsel is vast. It's wide. Many times the problem we have in life is that we have cut it into pieces. We now take one part of it. It's like they give you a car. You don't know it's a car. You look at the glass. You break it. You remove it. Carry it somewhere else. Look at one tire. Remove it. You, you remove the rim. To use the tube those days for flotation. You say this thing. You are not even in that okay. Drive the car. It has one tire. No windscreen. This doesn't work. That's how I pray. In the name of Jesus. I, they say you are supposed to move me from one point to the other. Because how am I supposed to move you? My movement equipment, you have removed it. You've removed everything. You removed three of my tires. I have four. You've drained my fuel to light fire in your kitchen. That is what we do with the word of God a lot of times. Some things God designed for that if they are a body of believers... There are some things will never be a problem. But we create problems, then we create our own solution. And the people like Pastor Banky shows up and says, this solution is ungodly. They say, how do we solve the problem? Forgetting that you created the problem in the first place. There was no problem in the beginning. Chinese man says, if you're planning for a year, plant rice. If you're planning for a decade, plant trees. If you're planning for a lifetime, educate a child. But you know what the world will say? I'm using Chinese proverb just to explain something. The world now say, look, forget about the children. Plant enough rice. Plant more trees. Then they'll have a, a school of advanced tree planting. 
and tell you a story of a man who was successful all the time because he had many trees. They forget that one generation has his burden. He's supposed to finish his own work, pass on to the, old, to the next generation. Don't you know the Bible says that children, when Jesus was talking about it, that when the Bible says that, honor your father and your mother that may be well with you, Jesus said that an interpretation of it is this. He said, you have made the word of God of no effect by your traditions. How? Because what a son, a daughter, is supposed to honor the parents with, you say, he can say, it has been given to God. Thereby making the word of God of no effect. That is, when God said, honor your father and your mother, he wasn't talking about bowing down. He was saying, your father must not be hungry, your mother must not be hungry, if he wants it to be well with you in this life. That was what he said. No, read the words of the Lord Jesus. He said, you have made the word of God of no effect by your tradition. The word that says, honor your father and your mother. He said, you take what the man is supposed to give his parents. You say, go and give it to the temple. Don't tell you what God was saying. God was not saying, bow down to your father and your mother. There's other the commandments for that. And that may be part of it. But what he was saying is that, I must not hear that you are driving your, a car and your father is sick. He can't pay his bills. God said, if that happens, I will kill you. Imagine a man having five, six, six children who believe that scripture. Who cares about his retirement plan? This is God's word. Why would the word teach us something different? That's what I'm preaching. That's all I'm preaching. That is all. I don't define scripture with my experiences. I define my experiences with the word of God. God is good. He has planned everything for us. Listen, you cannot think more about your prosperity than God has thought about it already. Let me go into that area. When people want to cripple you as a believer, they will remove God's word from your life. Let me say something to you. I will say it clearly because I want us to understand something. We say, God has prepared things for us. For time's sake, we may not read everything. No, let's read it. Let's read. Let's read. Let us read. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Please go and get our series, our series, The Sayings of God. A series of messages. Everything that's inside that series is what I should be preaching today. But of course, I will not preach everything. The sayings of God. Saying what God has said. The words that have come out from his mouth. The Bible says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. By that word does man live. That's what I'm talking about. Get it serious. We took different parts of life and we said, let's see what God has said about them. I'll just touch them here and there, maybe in a jumbled manner, but go to that, to, to that series. I'm not very sure of the number now, but quite a lot. We took health. What did he say about health? It's not what I feel about health. What did he say? What did he say about long life? Let me say something to you. I said it earlier anyway. Any good thing God has said concerning his children, he expects them to hold on to it and claim it. Let them only lay it down for the purpose, for the sake of a particular purpose of blessing the other people, of blessing the earth. Let me give an example. Now, long life is a blessing. Amen? But there are times God will allow the, will shorten the life of a saint. One of his saints. For a reason. Sometimes, for certain reasons, Paul will say that I'm going, to, I'm going to be poured off, I'm going to be offered up as a drink offering. I don't know what God is doing with it, but He's doing something with it. There are purposes He has that will only be triggered by when that cup receiving the shed blood of the saints is full. I don't understand it, but it happens. So, Paul was an old man, most certainly. He could have died in peace. God could have done to Paul what he did to Moses, saying to him, lie down here, and he will lie down. He could have done to Paul what he did to Aaron. He said, remove his clothes. As soon as they removed Aaron's clothes, he died. You know that's what to Aaron. They removed the priestly garments from Aaron. Aaron collapsed and died. He could have done that to Paul. He could have disappointed his executioners. But he said no. God said, there's no need. Dying is dying. Let me check the one that will give me glory. And that was what was said to us concerning Peter. So that he will know the kind of death that will give God glory. How God came to that, I don't know, but he did. So he said, Peter, you are going to die like this. 
That way God will be glorified. Paul will die in a particular way. is to glorify God. What about John? Say he's not going to die. Like the rest of you. And Saddle Sunder Selvaraj said he's still alive. Don't quote me, quote him. <laughs> he said he has seen him before. Or oh, that they have met before. He said he's not the only one, that there are many saints of God that will not die until Jesus returns. And don't argue with him because the words are written in black and white in the Bible. Yeah, he's the only one that has been bold enough to say it is literal. Most of us have wondered what is the Greek meaning. What is the Septuagint translation? We are, because we can't understand somebody being alive for 2,000 years. Sadhu Salvarai said, John is alive. He has a book. You can download it. Just Google it online. You'll find it. The Maharishi of Mount Kailash. He said that man, by the time, by the time um, Sadhu Singh met him years ago, he was about 400 years old. That man should be, well, between 400 and 500 years old now. He said he's not going to die too. He said there are thousands of them. But let's not talk about that. I like to drop things like that once in a while for you to know that all there is to life is not Mercedes Benz and Fulani and Hesman. There are other things going on. And let me just tell you the truth. Listen to me. No, nobody can kill you by accident. Your life is not a game of chance. It's not a game of chance. Pastor Craig was with us, you know, of course, we went to Port Harcourt two weeks ago for the Port Harcourt seminars that we had there. The ministers meeting our regular world seminar. And he just said it felt like sharing something about one sister in the north who wanted the Lord woke her up or one morning just heard a voice. God said, I will take care of your father. And she was wondering, what was he talking about? What is that about? But you know what happened? The father was killed. But before the father was killed, God went and told her, don't worry about your father, I will take care of him. That is, the man's death was not an accident. Islamic fundamentalists entered his house, tied him, took a knife, and said, deny Jesus. And he said, why would I do that? I will never do that. And they killed him slowly until they beheaded him while his children watched. But why am I talking about it? Because before then, God had gone to his first daughter. said, don't worry about it. I will take care of your father. So by the time the man died, she was like... What is going on? But I wasn't even praying. You came to me and said you will take care of him. Basically, God was saying, I have taken care of him. Don't worry about it. He's fine. I have elevated him. He died for the name of Christ. So I have taken care of him. I have forgiven all his sins. I'm going to wear him a crown of righteousness. Don't be overtaken. By what the unbelievers will do. And listen to this. I am certain of this. Out of that group that killed him, an apostle will arise. Ha! You don't know the story about of, of, of uh, Stephen? From the death of Stephen, Peter, uh, Paul arose. You don't kill a saint like all of you. No. God will say, good, you spill this blood. Now you will not sleep again. Day and night. They will be hearing the voice of that man until they get up and say, indeed, Jesus is Lord. I suspect, don't let me say I'm sure, one day a man will come and meet that girl. I've been forgiven, I want you to forgive me. The girl will say, for what? Then he will tell all the exploits he has done for the gospel, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the girl will rejoice and they say, no, I just want you to know, I was the one that slaughtered your father. And then she will put up her hands and worship God to see what the death of her father has produced in the life of another apostle. Nothing is an accident. Let's get business clear. I said we should read somewhere, right? Deuteronomy chapter 8. So when God has promised us things, we receive them from him. When we are laying them down, it's just for another purpose, for a greater assignment in life. Because sometimes his blessing may appear as if it's a problem. That is, is the blessing, his glory. It can be weighty, it can be distracting. So certain things are laid down. To be able to bless us in life, Jesus laid down his glory. He did. Without laying down that glory, he wouldn't have been a blessing to us. Sometimes to be able to bless other people, you also lay down your glory. So Paul will say, even though we're, we appear poor, we are making many people rich. Listen to me, Paul believed in prosperity. I hope you understand that. 
Paul believed in prosperity. He believed in abundance. He believed in having more money than you need so that you can be a blessing to other people. How do I know? Check his prayers. Don't check his experiences. Check what? His prayers. Check his teachings. Check the things that he said. He said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Is that a man who believed in poverty? No. He said, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you will have all sufficiency in all things and have an abundance for every good work. He said, instruct those who are rich in this world not to put their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but to put their hope in God who gives us all things richly to enjoy. That was what Paul said. But he said, what about my life? He said, look at it. It appears like death is working in me so that life may work in you. That is, if you see me poor, so that you can be rich. So he said, as poor, yet making many rich. Christians only lay down their glory for a greater good. Not because we don't believe in prosperity. We believe in it. Poverty is not holiness. Poverty is a temptation to sin. To steal. Do you know your Bible? Even though I preach the way I preach sometimes, I believe... Listen, I believe 100% in the gospel of prosperity. I do. I do. I do. I do. What I don't believe in is give so that God can multiply for to you. You are a wicked soul if you are like that. You are not a giver. You are an investor. Come as I'm preaching today. You put 10,000 here, God will make you 100,000 by tomorrow. That's kalo kalo. That's not the gospel. That's what I disagree with. I disagree with the the sign of prosperity that people preach. I disagree with the purpose of prosperity that many people preach. You have a big car does not mean you are prosperous. Thieves have big cars. Mafia does have big cars. Drivers of other people's cars pretend like they have big cars too. So it is not a sign of prosperity. Those are things I disagree with. I also believe you don't pursue it. It's a blessing. It must be added to you. It's like wind. Solomon said, vanity upon vanity, all of these things, they are vanity. He says it's like chasing after the wind. And this is understanding half of, of it. That if you stand outside on a cool day and the wind blows, you know how cool it feels. It's very, very cool, isn't it? Everywhere is hot, the breeze blows. You feel very happy. Should you enjoy that breeze? No, there's no catch to it. Should you enjoy it? There's no catch to it. But let me ask you a question. If you say that breeze is so good, let me run after it. Are you not mad? Then we'll see you on the road. You are going. You say, where are you going? You say, oh boy, you get one breeze, will blow me here just now. <laughs> say, when that thing hit me, man, man, I was revived. So what are you doing? By night, must have reached New Heaven Junction. So that portion after it, say, bros. I think something's wrong. That is what happens when we start running after what? Wealth. Material wealth. When God blesses us with money, when he blesses us with abundance, it's enjoyable, but we are forbidden from pursuing it. Because the ability to enjoy it is a gift of God. So you can have it and God removes the ability to enjoy it. Don't think you can outsmart God. But we do believe in prosperity. Why? Because God promised it was not my idea. I was not yet born. I was not yet conceived. My father was not yet born when he gave the promises. He said, my, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He said, he has anointed me with oil. My cup does what? Overflows. Just having enough is not, don't, don't, don't even make it look spiritual. Having only 1,000, when you need 1,000, is not the will of God. This is God's will. When you need 1,000, he sends five. So what do I do with the balance 4,000? So you'll soon see people who need to. That, 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 that's a matter of fact. Let's read it. Romans chapter 8. Remember I said go and get the series. The sayings of God. Because when people, when Satan wants to deny us of our inheritance, it starts with the wrong doctrines. Let's start from um, verse 7. He said, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, 
he said this to Israel, was a prophetic word. If you know the principle of as in, you know, Christ, you know this was a word of for Christ. 